Hello and welcome to episode 247 of the Waters Waveland podcast. I'm your host, Wei Shen, and as usual, I've got Tony with me here today. I sound like a talk show host today, right? Um, <laughs> how are you, Tony? I'm good. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what game show I'm on, but uh, yeah, right now it's uh, we're it's we're recording this on Wednesday midnight. Well, I guess now technically Thursday. Um, and uh, basically Friday uh, the seventeenth, we kind of so Waters Technology kind of just we do best of. Uh, for the rest of the year, for the last few weeks. If there's major breaking news, we'll cover those stories, but um, otherwise we're holding our news stories and some evergreen stories for the first part of 2022. So I am now having a, uh, a delicious uh, double dry hopped uh, IPA from Triple uh, Triple Crossing in Richmond, Virginia. That's a new and, one. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, it's some uh, beer that I brought back from uh, when I went on my trip to Virginia, and I've just been... Uh, storing it for a little bit and uh yeah so just trying to get get to friday once friday comes i am so looking forward to that but <laughs> before that sounds like we got a uh, a good guest actually you stole one of my old guests yeah um, yeah we seem to be doing that you you stole uh ibm's liquid woggle from me so that's right. i'm stealing jennifer pv from you there you go <laughs> what'd you guys talk about yeah, so we get uh, we got Jennifer PV on. She uh, is the managing director and head of strategy and business development at DTCC. Um, she joined the podcast this time to talk about this uh, digital securities management platform that they've been working on, uh, basically to help uh, with U.S. private markets. Uh, it, it's kind of an extension uh, from Project Whitney, which she talked with you about last time on the mm -hmm. podcast. So yeah, I'll I'll leave it to you guys to listen to it to again the weeds there. <laughs> and and just uh, to to give our audience, Weisha and I will be back next week with the podcast, and just us just talking just BS. Um, and then we might have one more uh, during the week before New Year's. But um, we might even throw in a Christmas song. No, Tony Tony's oh, gonna hit no, that. I refuse. So, yeah. I refuse. But yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there will be more, but uh, this will be our last guest of the year, but we'll be looking, uh, we'll be speaking with guests in the new year. And if you have any ideas, feel free to let us know. But until then, let's hear from Jennifer. All right. Joining me today is Jennifer Peavy, Managing Director and Head of Strategy and Business Development at DTCC. Welcome back on the podcast, Jennifer. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So actually last June, you came on the podcast to talk about uh, DLT and also DTCC's project Ion and Whitney. Uh, but today I'd like to discuss a platform that you guys recently launched, which is the Digital Securities Management Platform or DSM as we'll refer to it, uh, which is catered to US private markets. So perhaps to start, um, could you give us an overview of DSM and the particular pain points that it looks to solve? Yeah, sure. So. Um... Private markets are a really interesting space in the U.S. And um, my team had really have been doing quite a bit of research back in late 2018, early 2019. We were really drawn to it uh, as we began to explore how natively issued tokens representing real money assets worked. And at the time, there were a few fintech firms attempting to use blockchain and tokenized securities for things like REITs or alternative products. 
um, maybe some private equity as well. Um, so when we started to really explore what that whole theme of tokenization meant for you know DTCC in the industry, you know we stumbled across private markets and we found that you know since private markets have been on the rise and U.S. companies are staying private longer, you know. Um, they accrued larger shareholder bases, both investors and employees who needed exit opportunities, which meant they were seeking um, ways um, to exit through secondary liquidity means. Um, and while there were certain technology solutions to help those stakeholders across the value chain, the solutions were really fragmented and siloed, or they addressed the needs of late stage pre-IPO companies, which was a really limited client segment. So we started to dive in a little bit deeper into private markets to learn about how those markets really worked. And we wanted to consider at the same time where there was room for improvement, um, as well as how tokenization could drive added value. And we determined that you know, a digital platform that would support multiple digital assets to address the manual processing that occurs in private markets, the market fragmentation that exists, and effectively this reactive compliance enforcement of secondary trades were definitely target areas and pain points that we felt like a more digital platform could really solve for. Um, so that, that was really kind of the basis for DSM and how it evolved and how our, our research on the private markets, while while it started looking at tokenization, it took us back, right? We took that step back to say, well, why are why are these startups even focused on alternative products or REITs? Like, what are the challenges there? And that's what really highlighted, you know, exactly how manual that that industry really is still today. Okay, that's interesting. So, I mean, uh, you, you mentioned, yeah, um, manual and a couple of other challenges there, but they also, I mean, suffer from a lack of transparency, right? And uh, transparency, access and liquidity, and also, well, they do not conform with institutions existing back office processes. So um, uh, maybe walk me through the, I guess, the thesis of DSM and how that, uh, you know, uh, how that hopes to, you know, solve that particular issue there. Sure. So I, I think when you when you start to think about the the pain points that you just you just described, right? And then you think about at the same time you think about how some of these um, solutions were emerging in private markets to allow firms to manage their issuances from a tokenization standpoint. I think you know we you know when we look at those two things and we think okay well there was pain points in the private markets there are pain points by those who are attempting to use new and novel technologies um, in this space where they were running into challenges as well and so you think about you know for example um, with regards to um, tokenized contracts and you have, you know, regular, you know, many of those providers were looking to use public blockchains, for example, and, you know, regulators are still, you know, 
um, continued, you know, at the time to cite concerns about public blockchains acting as that golden source of owner of asset data. And again, it kind of goes to your point about, you know, how our more traditional financial industry firms and the regulatory requirements that they have to adhere to, you know, the, you know, it was a difficult leap from public blockchain to that, right? I mean, require, you know, regulatory requirements. And so, so there were these inefficiencies on a broad scale in the in the private market solutions. And what what DSM actually aims to do is it creates this ecosystem, this platform that brings together an ecosystem of stakeholders that allows them to generate to create network effects and build around some non-differentiating capabilities. So, for example, you know we have. Um, if you have um, buyers, you have you have um, the primary issuance and the secondary issuance process, right? If you create a more streamlined upfront um, primary issuance um, process, then as and when securities in the private market space are eligible for secondary transfer, then you know they can also lean on this same platform. And I'll, one of the examples here is this transaction consent engine, right? Um, a, a more proactive versus reactive transaction consent um, engine allows us to manage the transfers of securities and validate them against the issuer's set of rules for that particular issuance. And that's really important because today what can sometimes happen is a trade can be transferred on a secondary platform and then the issuer finds out about it um, after the transaction has occurred, and if there if it does need to be unwound, then there's an entire process around just unwinding the transaction. This platform introduces that proactive compliance to ensure that transfers don't uh, don't occur unless they meet all of the issuer's requirements um, from the from the start. That's one really important um, feature of the overall platform. I'd say the second feature that I'm really excited about, right, is the, and I, and I see it as one of the more unique features of the solution, is that the, the platform is also designed to serve as good control location. Now, that is pending regulatory consideration and approval by the SEC, but let me just talk about what good control means for a second, right? Um, there's a lot of challenges, as we've talked about, in the space. Retail investors are increasingly looking for investment opportunities and they have less access to the market as a whole, right? As companies stay private longer, they're not, you know, IPOing as early as they used to. And investors just don't know how to get to private markets. You had brought up the fact that they're a little bit opaque. There's not as much transparency, and this is what the result is. So one way in which you can really help to democratize private markets and reach a broader set of investors is for those investors to work through a broker dealer, you know, similar to how, you know, um, a retail investor today in public markets would work through a broker dealer for their, their securities trading and, and other and ETFs, et cetera. And broker dealers have requirements to protect any customer asset it holds on its client's behalf. So they do this through designating a, what the SEC deems is a, calls a good control location. Now, there's a number of ways to achieve good control location. However, the DSM platform will enable good control in a centralized manner. And why that matters is, um, I'll give you two examples. 
For placement agents in the primary issuance side, this means that they can leverage a highly standardized solution that drives operational efficiencies throughout that placement, that initial placement um, and, um, and issuance. For ATSs, this means they can open their marketplace up to a wider range of introducing brokers who can rely on the DSM platform as good control, and they don't they no longer need to integrate to multiple custodians or restrict clients to a single custodian model. So by opening up the marketplaces and by enabling a greater, you know, greater operational efficiencies on primary issuance, this this concept of good centralized good control um, could really change you know change what the face of private markets looks like today okay just to maybe rewind a little bit so like uh, you, you did mention that there are other examples of good control I mean could you give me an example uh, could, could you name some of them and you know what were uh, I guess what is the difference between uh, them and also you know what you guys are doing with this, this you have it in a centralized manner. Yeah, so uh, the easiest, the simplest way for me to um, describe the diff a different methodology is in looking at um, a marketplace or a trading venue, right? Um, it, a trading venue could create a single relationship with a, with a custodian um, that can provide custodial services to their clients. That means, however, that every client that comes onto that platform, on that onto that trading venue, has to have a relationship with that one custodian, right? And so, so now you basically sometimes, you know, what you run into is that not all clients have relationships with the same custodian, um, and so they they maybe they want a different custodian. Um, the ATS or the trading venue could certainly go down the road of creating, you know, individual custodian relationships. But think about it um, now. If now think about it, that all of this grows. If you have one ATS and that happens, that's that's manageable. But now think about how if there are three ATSs and you know each custodian has is, eventually has to create a separate relationship with each ATS um, or trading venue, and you know the technology footprint and connectivity, et cetera, starts to multiply for them, right? And so it 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 it. it it becomes less operationally efficient for for them as custodians, um, and then you know clients then may have to wait until their custodian comes on board to a particular platform if they're not already there. So that that detracts from keeping you know creating a wider you know more open access ecosystem to investors. With a centralized model, as we are proposing for DSM. You know, because because DSM, our goal here is for DSM to be designated as good control. It enables custody, and so one, an ATS just needs to connect to DSM, and they don't have to worry about how many custodians they have that are also signed up for the platform. And so, you know, customers could still use custodians in a different manner, but they don't have to worry about it or or um, consider it for their own trading venue to get all, each one of those custodians on board in order for them to reach a broader set of investors for their trading platform. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so, I mean, DSM is, all, is also an extension and it kind of builds on Project Whitney, right? I mean, could you elaborate on the philosophy of Project Whitney? How, ha how has that changed, uh, if so? And, you know, how... It, 
DSM fits into its overall um, thesis? Yeah, so you know, Whitney was <laughs> Whitney was a, was a fun innovation project. I'll tell you that, and we had a great time with it. You know, when we started Whitney, Whitney set out to answer one question, which was, what value would a next gen digital platform provide to issuers and investors that wanted to benefit from the open public blockchain? for private market securities. So that's really important because the, the original genesis of Project Whitney was actually all about us better understanding natively issued tokens, um, assets in the tokenized form. And, and so it really started off as something to help us just build acumen around tokenization and blockchain, but it became so much more. It became you know, this deep dive into private markets and a better understanding of the pain points in the marketplace and how different, um, how different firms on the tokenization side were approaching it and what challenges they were really facing. And so if you think about um, you know, one of the very uh, you know, first aha moments, if you will, was when we started to consider this transaction consent engine, which we think is a very important feature of the platform, um, we, we looked at it in terms of how it could help the, ecos you know, help the industry start to use public blockchains um, while, while um, reducing the regulatory concern about doing so. And so the way that we we ended up designing the platform was really based upon what we learned in Project Whitney. So DSM is really a foundation of concepts and learnings that all came out of Whitney. Um, one of you know there's a couple really interesting things that I could point to, um, one of which was was how the transaction consent engine, could further um, demonstrate to regulators how using public blockchain as in, in conjunction with the DSM platform and this transaction consent engine, how it could really, um, um, I'm gonna say restrict transactions from occurring unless the transactions were validated through the transaction consent engine. And I think you know, demonstrating that you could control that, those movements on public blockchain was one of the hurdles, I think, to get through for many of these firms when looking at tokenization. So that was one big, that was one aha moment. I think the second one was that, you know, as we start to, as financial institutions and financial market infrastructures have learned over the last, you know, many, many, many years, um, adoption of any new product and service is hard, right? It's difficult to get clients around the table and get them to, to really, you know, um, buy in and, and, and adopt a new product and service, right? Mostly because, you know, first it's got to demonstrate clear value. And even if it does demonstrate clear value, you have to consider that each client has their own different priorities, their own different, you know, um, technology capabilities um, and acumen. Um, and so not everyone's ready for all of the, you know, for the new and novel technology and, and concepts all at the same time. So what also came through in Project Whitney and, and helped um, inform upon DSM was the fact that we needed to create a solution that served a broad set of industry participants. That meant 
those who are who are actively engaged in participating in private markets today with traditional assets, as well as those who are interested in more modernized opportunities through tokenization. And that's how we came about with our two complementary models um, for processing private market securities, one of which we call book entry, the other is what we call book entry plus. Um, both of those models are founded on the same um, principle where DTCC captures a record of securities information and its associated data. Um, that includes security master files, investor and issuer registries, security identification numbers, um, and those codification and the codification of transfer restrictions. So all of that exists in both Book Entry and Book Entry Plus. But with Book Entry Plus, you have you know our, our customers, our broker dealers, and their customers have the added opportunity to leverage public Ethereum blockchain as infrastructure and hold the assets in wallets and initiate transfers through their wallet um, that connects, you know, that pinging while still pinging the DSM platform for validation. So really interesting, great opportunity we had to be innovative in, um, in a sandbox, work with clients, better understand the opportunity space, better understand the tech, the tokenization components and the challenges there, and then think and, and, and design a solution that could help address and solve for the pain points on both on both sides of the coin. Not no no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so just to just to clarify, so that uh, just to help me understand better. Uh, so that means that uh, basically anyone who wants to use a D the DSM platform have has two options, right? It's either they want to use Book Entry or they want to use Book Entry Plus, and Book Entry Plus actually uses the public blockchain, right? So those that have, um, uh, I guess, are further along in their, uh, I guess, technology journey uh, and can connect to that, can uh, can do that through Book Entry Plus. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep, exactly. Okay, cool. Um, so DSM is actually going to start with support of, of pre-IPO equity securities, right? Um, that uh, when it's launched in uh, early 2022. Um, but uh, from what I understand, it can be easily scaled and expanded into other markets. I mean, could you provide some examples of where DTCC could extend DSM2 in the near future? This is my favorite part of, of, of any product build, <laughs> is what could possibly happen in the future. Um, I think we have some really interesting directions that we could follow here. First of all, you've, you've just got your basic product coverage, right, where we could expand the product coverage of the platform. And so that could include something like um, or you know, REITs or debt, other unbankables, um, pooled investment funds, et cetera. So the private market space is fairly broad, and I think there's quite a bit there that we could that we could cover um, leveraging this platform. I think the other opportunity for us is to think about capability expansion, and this is where you know there's some really interesting things to consider. I think one of the one of the opportunities or use cases I want to focus on first and explore a little bit more is how we create a bridge from the private market securities platform to 
public markets, right, as companies look to IPO. And so I think, you know, one of the challenges that many companies have is, is, is you know, moving from private to public. And, you know, by leveraging DSM, you know, a unicorn company that might be a year or two years out from IPOing, thinking and, 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 and scoping the opportunities and the ways in which we could, you know, just bridge that gap and create a, a, tra um, a seamless transition from private to public markets. I think that's a really interesting opportunity for, for us, right? This, is, this could lean on some of the existing capabilities in the digital securities management platform, such as the issuance capability. And if you focus that even, you take that a step further and you focus it simply on um, tokenized assets by, by creating something from the very beginning in tokenized form and creating a new issuance process um, or new IPO issuance process, I'll call it, um, you know, for those types of assets in collaboration with other partners in the ecosystem like exchanges and or transfer agents, custodians, et cetera. I think that could be really compelling and could help drive some operational efficiencies for the industry as a whole. Um, so I love to think about, you know, capability expansion. I'd say another, another um, potential opportunity is settlement. So DSM is going to um, enable gross settlement on day one. Um, and we are looking at um, a T plus one or great or greater model, if that makes sense. Um, but ultimately today, private markets settle um, sometimes on a um, T30 basis, right? So they, they, they don't have a lot of efficiency on the settlement side. Um, by introducing T1, we're, we're bringing that, that efficiency to the table. But if we could create even leverage something like our project ION, which is moving into MVP as well, to help facilitate T0 you know, settlement of the private market securities, that could be very interesting too. So that's something that we wanna keep our eye on how the project ION MVP is moving forward um, as we also build out DSM. So there's some really interesting things that we could, we could pursue in the future here. Okay, any chance of uh, it being also expanded to other private markets in, in let's say, uh, the UK or in in uh, certain areas in Asia. That's a it's a really good question. I think we've certainly been focused on the US the US product suite simply because of you know because of our registration um, you know as a SEC regulated um, securities depository and so I think that's where we see you know we want to focus um, first. I think certainly the technology platform can be extended to any asset with a set of rules. It just depends on the governance structure that's required on the back of it and whether or not, you know, it's something that we wanna we want to explore, or if it's something that we do in partnership with with another CSD or third party or financial institution, um, you know, to help, you know, just effectively drive some greater efficiencies in, in the end end process. But there are, you know, while well, I think the the pain points and the challenges are fairly similar in terms of you know the um, SME space in Europe um, and the private market space in the US. Um, at the same time, there are some differences, jurisdictional differences that I think you know make moving on a global basis a little bit complicated to start with. So, mm, okay, uh, so. Uh 
tell me again when when DSM is ready for launch. This is early 2022. Is it Q1 or Q2? Yeah, I think we're looking at we're looking at um, Q2. Okay, and what needs to happen before uh, before before you launch? Basically, what are the next steps that uh, I mean that you need to I, I guess put into DSM? What what are the additional work that you need to put into DSM before you can launch in Q2? So we're about, I'd say we're roughly three, four, three, three, four months in. Where are we? December now? Almost. <laughs> Almost. One day away. <laughs> um, yeah, we're about four months into our build. And I think, you know, our goal is to is to start UAT testing in early Q, um, in early 2022. And, you know, as we move along, you know, we're heavily engaged with, you know, stakeholders across various um various client segments. So we're engaged with, you know, ATSs and trading venues, with broker dealers on the primary issuance side, with custodians, with transfer agents, et cetera. And so we're working with a broad set of, of stakeholders to help, you know, just further refine and and bring this platform to to launch. So that's going to continue through, I say, early early uh, 2022, and then we will um, kick off user acceptance testing. We also do have regulatory approval that we will need to um, to launch the business, and that includes um, the work that I mentioned around good control and getting, you know, having the you know, working with the regulators on their consideration, review, and approval of our request for no action on good control, as well as um, taking a look at you know the rule book for the DSM platform. Um, so there's you know there's still some there's some regulatory work that has to be done, some work with clients, um, and then we will uh, hopefully be ready to rock and roll. <laughs> okay, cool. Oh, maybe one last question for you. I mean, I I know last year Tony asked you, you know what? Uh, I mean, clearly there are a lot of skeptics when it comes to blockchain, um, and uh, I think you gave your thoughts on how DLTs have you know evolved over the last four years uh but i just want to get your thoughts on you know there, there are a couple of projects that are in the market obviously um the, the asx replacement of chess is a big one there's also um it seems like yeah i'm going down a, a lot of the exchange route but uh, hong kong exchange is also using it for their uh, signups platform which is for uh stock connect um uh, which is uh, I guess being uh, being in, currently in POC. Sorry. Um, so I mean, just over the past year, what has changed uh, in in the blockchain world? I mean, are institutions and regulators alike, uh, you know, more uh, I guess ready for it? Uh, what else needs to happen, you know, for these projects to successfully um, take off? Yeah, you know. So it's funny. I was on. I forget what I was. I was doing something recently, and and um, and someone had had asked a similar question, and I said, you know, for me, and I might have said this last year as well. Um, for me, I think this technology is a test in patience, <laughs> and so um, it, you know, it really is something that you know. When I look at how cloud technology is still. You know, just being adopted on a, you know, even on a, a cautious basis till today, right? Although, you know, we've seen some announcements recently that have certainly indicated, you know, that people that firms are are ready to move forward more aggressively. 
you know, that's been around for over 10 years now. And so I, I think that I'm actually quite pleased with the progress that we've seen. And I'm very excited about the digital securities management platform and, you know, our ability to interface to public blockchains to, you know, enable um, its use in, you know, for the support and, and management of assets, even though, you know, we still have a centralized record that is the, you know, the golden source, if you will, it's still, it's a, still a really great step forward to get the industry and regulators and others comfortable and build confidence in the underlying technology. And that's what I think you need first and foremost, as you move anything new and novel forward. So I'm pretty excited about what we've seen. I know that it still feels like it's moving at a at a snail's pace, perhaps. But I actually think that the industry, broadly speaking, has made a lot of progress here. And in particular, with the, the, the aspect tokenization of assets, um, you know, when you look at the amount of money that financial firms, in this, you know, I'm sorry, financial institutions and financial market infrastructures and others are investing in this space, um, the teams that they're building around digital asset, you know, business units, you know, how they're reconsidering their business models, like all of these things are really indicative of a positive move forward and a real desire for modernization and change. I think that's that's what I kind of take away from the last year, and I think that's that's really exciting from my standpoint. I'm I'm pretty pretty positive on what's gonna what's coming next. So um, so anyway, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, well, thank you again for coming on. I think this has been a, a very enjoyable chat and uh, definitely an interesting one. And we will definitely hit on that uh, digital asset front the next time we have you on. That was great. <laughs> thank you very much.